If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Jonah chapter 3. Um, and there are some Bibles on the table in the back, I think, with the children's uh, coloring supplies and stuff. Uh, the text is also printed in the, on the next page of the bulletin. Uh, we're in a series on Jonah just for a few weeks, one uh, chapter per week. So uh, Jonah, <clears throat> the book of Jonah, um, whether you've read it before or not, you've probably heard of it at least, probably the most memorable part of the book of Jonah, the part that, that the book is most widely known for, is uh, when he's swallowed by the fish in chapter 2. Uh, which we looked at last time, chapter 2, where he's swallowed by the fish. Uh, that is a crazy story. That's a crazy part of the story. That's why it's so memorable. It's epic, right? It's, it's a very important part of Jonah's story when he's swallowed by the fish. But it's not the strangest thing that happens in the Bible. We talked about that last week. Uh, in fact, it's not even the strangest thing that happens in the book of Jonah. It's really not. It's not the most remarkable, epic, crazy thing that happens in the book of Jonah. Even crazier is what happens right here in chapter 3. It's one of the craziest things, actually, that happens in the whole Bible. The entire city full of really bad people comes to faith and repentance. Lots and lots of people. Uh, That's a really big deal. And not just for Jonah, for the prophet, and for Israel during his time, not just for their time, but for all history, it's a big deal. For us, even now, this chapter is a a really big deal. Uh, Basically, it means... That God really can change absolutely anyone. And that is an encouraging thought. Uh, No one is so bad that it puts them beyond hope for divine forgiveness. No one's sin ultimately is a match for God's mercy. The incredible thing, really, uh, is that when we're reading the book of Jonah, we can pretty much ignore the magnitude of what's happening in this chapter with a whole city full of people coming to faith and repentance. Uh, we're more likely to talk about the fish than the miraculous revival that takes place here. We don't have the kind of response that we're supposed to have, which is glorifying God for his amazing grace and being encouraged and emboldened to proclaim the gospel to absolutely anybody. But uh, what is recorded here uh, should make our hearts leap as we consider God's grace in our own salvation and then the great hope for salvation that we have for others around us in this world. So uh, let's ask God to make that happen make that kind of change in our hearts as we consider his word this morning. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, your word is overwhelmingly good, and yet our response is often so underwhelming. Please breathe new life into us as you speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jonah 3, I'm going to start in the last verse of chapter 2. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of a king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may return, turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a quick reminder of where we are in this story so far. It's a great book. It's a short book. You can go home and read it this afternoon uh, very easily, uh, just four chapters. Uh, But where we are to this point in the story, God comes to Jonah. He tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, the city full of your enemies, the greatest uh, city of the evil empire, Assyria. And Jonah knew uh, that God was providing an opportunity there for Nineveh to repent, not just to be destroyed, but he was providing an opportunity to repent. And he went insane with self-righteousness because here are his enemies. He doesn't want them to repent and receive forgiveness. He wants them to be destroyed. He hated the idea of God being merciful to bad people, like the Ninevites. He would rather have nothing to do with God than to accept this God's mercy and grace. So he fled, uh, not only from the assignment that he'd been given, the the mission to Nineveh, uh, but from God's very presence. So, quick side note, uh, when you refuse to do what God tells you to do, uh, like tell other sinners about his grace, um, you're not just breaking some abstract commandment. You're rebelling against God personally. You're, You're fleeing from his presence. It's a personal relational thing between you and God when you refuse to do what he tells you to do. And side note, um, so Jonah did that. He fled, but God, in his mercy, wouldn't let Jonah get away from him. He pursued Jonah, and that uh, merciful pursuit, that good pursuit, was devastating to Jonah. It arrived in the form of a great storm uh, when he was on a ship at sea, and then this great terrible fish experience where he's swallowed up for three days and three nights. After three days of Jonah being tempted, I'm sorry, being trapped, in the uh, belly of the fish, he prayed, right? After the three days, at the end of his his time there in the belly of the fish, he prayed and he knew that God had revealed himself to be merciful to him, that actually this fish was his salvation and he was banking on God's mercy for his life and then he promised new obedience. We looked at that last week. And so God causes the fish to vomit Jonah out onto dry land. So throughout the story, so far and all through the rest of the book, uh, what we're seeing is God's sovereign mercy at work. His sovereign mercy. He is absolutely able to do whatever he wants in order to be gracious to people and, and to be able to teach us all a lesson about his grace. And now uh, we find Jonah here in our chapter He's at a new beginning, and the language is just really parallel to the very beginning of the book in chapter 1. 
where this, this is a repeat of God's commission to Jonah with much the same language. He says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Um, so John Calvin calls this, just the fact that he is uh, reissuing his commission to Jonah, he says this is a remarkable proof of God's grace, that he was pleased to bestow on Jonah his former dignity and honor. God not only restored him to life, but favored him again with the office and honor of a prophet. The recovery of his prophetic office was certainly not obtained through his own merit. So Jonah's the bad guy in this story, and even though God has had tremendous mercy on him already, um, even, even here in calling him to go to Nineveh still. I'm not done with you. You're going to be my mouthpiece in Nineveh. Uh, even though this is tremendous mercy, we, st- we still see that it hasn't really sunk in that far. We will see that uh, next, in the next chapter. It's all about how really Jonah's repentance hasn't, hasn't been perfect. His understanding of God's grace is what it is. Uh, he doesn't like it still. Um, so <clears throat> even though Jonah's still that guy, who gets it and doesn't get it, kind of does, kind of doesn't. It's amazing that God restored him to the prophetic office and to this mission. Normally, I think we'd expect Jonah to be sidelined here, right? We'd expect something more like a coach with a player who stubbornly refuses to get out there and play as he's told, and he benches the kid, right? Uh, Shouldn't there be some sort of probationary period? Shouldn't shouldn't there be some, some way that Jonah has to prove how really he has changed before he's sent out on such an important mission. Uh, if he ever gets sent at all, I mean, didn't he really blow his chance? Well, not when this God is working with you. It's never too late for people like us. You might worry that you're messed up, uh, you're too messed up to be useful to God, that you of all people, maybe you've been a Christian for so long, you should have known better than to sin against God and that that way that you've done, that you've done over and over again over the years and the decades. Surely you're beyond the hope of redemption because it hasn't gotten through your thick skull how you're supposed to relate to God. I mean, you can't get more, uh, much more messed up than Jonah is here, and God used him wonderfully and surprisingly here in spite of himself, in spite of Jonah. God used him in one of the greatest events that uh, the history of the world, Right? So you're not beyond salvaging, whoever you are. The God who does good things in the world can bring you in to participate in what he is doing. His grace bestows remarkable privileges on us when we don't deserve it, when we'll never deserve it. In fact, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you're already ready to do the simple work, very simple work of telling other sinners about him, even to speak on his behalf, which you can't imagine a higher honor than that. So, verse 3, Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, and that, that um, literally says Nineveh was a great city to God. And it was three days' journey in breadth. Uh, it wasn't literally like it took you three days to get across it. Really, probably more what this is saying is that a, a visit required three days for you to get to all the parts of town and make your way through it all for Jonah to preach everywhere in that city. It would have been three days. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah has been changed by God's grace to some degree. He's pretty intrepid now. You've got to admit, just worldly, humanly speaking, you look at what's happening here, 
He's going deep into the heart of enemy lands to this terrible city full of violent people who are his enemies. And he's going alone. And he's willing to say what God wants him to say to these really scary people. And it's not a great message. Right? He doesn't stall for time. He doesn't try to wriggle out from underneath the responsibility again. Right? He doesn't try to find just the right opportunity, wait for the right moment with each person that he meets. He just gets right to the message, not just in private conversations. We call it out in the streets. And it's a message of doom, really. It's a message of doom. Nineveh shall be overthrown. And it's exactly the message that God wanted him to deliver. That's what this language is saying. God sent him to call out against Nineveh. Against Nineveh. He went according to the word of the Lord. He delivered the message that God wanted him to, right? And then this miracle happens, and the Ninevites believed and repented. Jonah didn't give them any good news to go on. I mean, he didn't even mention God. He just said, the clock is ticking. The countdown has started. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There's no reference even to God in that. The best we can say is that God and his mercy, that's implicit in this message. The best you could say is that it's implicit. You've got to look real hard for it. Uh, maybe because Jonah was God's prophet, maybe they knew that. Uh, maybe because of this 40-day time frame. That's a number that's associated uh, throughout the scriptures with a time of testing and of new beginnings and things. Because uh, maybe, you know, what's the point of send, sending a warning of doom if there's no hope at all? Why not just wipe them out without informing them in advance? Right? Maybe these are little hints that God's mercy is implicit in the past. But the hope in Jonah's message, it's pretty slim. It's pretty concealed. It's like a rock climber on what looks like just this sheer cliff face with no footholds or handholds. He's holding by his chalky fingertips and his little sticky rubber boots to some hairline fractures that people on the ground can't even see. The message that God gave to Jonah to proclaim in Nineveh looks like this sheer cliff face of judgment. It just sounds like only bad news. Their sins have come up before God, and it's just a matter of time before they'll be overthrown. And Nineveh was overthrown. Nineveh was overthrown, just not in the way you expected. This news of impending doom, this conviction of their sins, that's what this is. It's a message that that serves to convict them of their sins. It shook their foundations right to the core, and the whole city was overthrown in repentance unto salvation. See, this is uh, one of the crazy upside-down things that happens so often in the Bible. It's so common for God to come to sinners, to bad people like us, like me, who you would fully expect to be destroyed for their sin. And there's that fear there. That's what he's going to do. And for God to come and say some pretty strong stuff to those sinners, even stuff that stings, painful things to hear. Even to speak against them, which is the way that Jonah's book talks about it so much. Go and speak against them on my behalf. But for God to come, this holy God, and to speak against us, to be meant for our good, for our faith, for our repentance, for our salvation, for eternal life, actually. When God came into this world in the flesh, as a human being, 
in the person of Jesus Christ, teaching about his kingdom, all the parables, all the teachings that he had. So much of what he said was hard for sinners to hear. It's the kind of stuff that you grit your teeth at when you first hear it. And then he promised that after he left, he would send the real nice, sweet Holy Spirit to really change the message. No, to continue his wonderful ministry of convicting us of our sins. Convicting us of our sins. And it's good. It's good for God to give us this message. And God, in his sovereign mercy, can use even a message of doom like this one where the hints of mercy are implied or very subtle at best. He can use even a message of doom like this one that Jonah preached to, bre- to break through the hardened hearts of really bad people, to bring them to repentance, to faith, to real change in relationship with him. So when we hear Jonah's message, uh, we think it means that God is overthrowing sinners in his judgment. But really it means he's overthrowing sinners in his mercy. That's what it turns out to mean. God can turn a message like this into salvation, and he can turn our lives in a complete 180, uh, inside out and upside down. He can, he can change us absolutely from the ground up. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If God can use a message like this to, to people like that, to be merciful to people like that, then he can change you through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of Jonah, the good news of Jonah is that the proclamation of God's judgment leads to mercy. And we have the ultimate fulfillment of that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim God's judgment of his son in our place. And that leads to our faith and repentance and receiving mercy from him. God has overthrown Jesus in the judgment that we deserve in order to overthrow us in his mercy. The king of Nineveh led all those really bad people in repentance based on some pretty slim hope. He says that the word reached the king, king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, satin ashes. This is real repentance-grieving imagery here. <clears throat> and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. That's serious repentance. Uh, That's more repentance than I've ever done, right? They go all out. They even had the animals join them in, in repentance, right? In fasting and repentance. Maybe that's the Ninevites just trying to be really thorough. Maybe that's them... Not having a clue how to repent. Get the animals involved. Who knows? What do we do? Uh, maybe they realize they need to bring everything in their life and in their city and in their whole world into their relationship with God. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on there with the animals. But, but all they're going on is this faint slur of hope that's barely detectable. Uh, like that rock climber hanging on to pretty much nothing on the sheer cliff face. But we have solid footholds and handholds for our faith and repentance. Much more solid. Much more obvious. We have God's own son coming into the world for the explicit purpose. He made it known. He said it of seeking and saving the lost, openly blessing people, openly healing, being good to people, helping people, eating and drinking with very bad people. He took flack for that. 
deliberately going to the cross to give his very life, resurrected from the grave and appearing to more than 500 people, the very embodiment of God's mercy and grace and favor and salvation, solid, clear footholds and handholds for us. The Ninevites said, who knows, maybe God will be merciful. They didn't know. We know. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares with full assurance, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. doesn't matter who you are. The Ninevites were some of the worst people history has ever known. Um, you know, I talk about some of their war crimes, but we've got children in the room. So uh, and here we have basically the greatest repentance ever recorded. 120,000 people who turned on just some bad news from a hostile prophet. That's what they turned on. How much more should we repent on hearing the good news of Jesus Christ? Hebrews puts it this way. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We don't just have a message of doom. We have a message of hope and peace. We have the promises. We have the fulfillment of promises in Jesus Christ. We have the love of God on unbelievable display in his life and death and resurrection and his ascension and the outpouring of his spirit. There is every reason for us to cast ourselves upon his mercy. And there is no good reason at all to continue in our rebellion against him. There's no good reason not to repent. You have that message, the gospel preached to you. So now, uh, sorry, you're without excuse. (laughs) If the Ninevites repented and were saved, how much more should you repent and be saved? Knowing who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. Knowing this merciful God and knowing the gospel, you can have hope for anybody, for anyone at all. Jesus can overthrow anyone in his mercy, no matter how you perceive them. Right? There will be barbarian hordes in heaven. That's these guys. There will be former drug addicts in heaven. There will be pedophiles in heaven. There will be all kinds of bad people who find themselves in heaven utterly in spite of themselves and in spite of our judgment. Maybe the most remarkable thing to consider from this book, even people like Jonah, the self-righteous religious prophet, people like that will be in heaven. Right? The Apostle Paul was like Jonah. Rob read about this in our... Um, New Testament reading this morning. Uh, The Apostle Paul was like him uh, when he was called Saul. And Jesus, in his mercy, was able to overthrow him. Saul opposed Jesus. He breathed threats and murder against Christ's people. And Jesus knocked him off his horse. And he blinded him. He pursued him in some pretty severe mercy. And he baptized him and healed him and changed his life completely. And used him as the Apostle to the Gentiles to extend the gospel of his grace to the whole world, to change the prospect of eternity for billions of people. And you're made from the same stuff as that, as Paul and Jonah and the Ninevites. We're all made from the same stuff as all the other bad people that Jesus overthrows in his mercy. The conversion that should shock you most of all is not the Ninevites. The conversion that should shock you most of all is your own. You should never be more shocked by someone else's conversion than you are by your own. Why are we surprised that God would have mercy on the Ninevites if we believe that God would have mercy on people like us? If you can find hope for yourself in the gospel, then you can be hopeful for anyone and everyone because your hope is in Jesus who has mercy.
If you have a grasp on the power of God to change anyone, then you'll hope for the conversion of anyone you know. You'll pray for it. You'll celebrate each time you hear about somebody repenting and believing in Christ. Every time you see a baptism, you'll celebrate. Every time you see a child who makes confession and starts to come to the table. Every time you hear people confess their sins and ask God for forgiveness, it'll be time for celebration. So look around at each other and be encouraged and give God glory for overthrowing us all in his grace. And go tell people about him. Go tell people about the God who does such things in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you could have given up on Jonah. You could have given up on the Ninevites. You could have given up on Paul and us. But you have not, and you are able to give us eternal life and to change everything about our lives in relationship with you. We want to celebrate you and your grace and your work in this world, in the lives of the people we know. So please convict us of our sins through the work of your spirit. Please assure us of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Please renew us in the image of your perfect son. And please fill us with boldness and the joy of your salvation to share the good news of your grace wherever you call us to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.